This is Steve Smith at WCG Patient Radio. WCG is a company focused on the ethical, safe, and efficient conduct of clinical trials. At WCG, we focus on issues of importance to the patients and highlight topics that will um, highlight the important things happening in the patient community. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Leo Hong, who is the founder and executive director of the Midwest Asian Health Association in Chicago, a not-for-profit organization that reaches out to low-income Asian and Pacific Islander populations in Chicago who are underserved in healthcare to give them access and assistance to help make Chicago a healthier city. She was born and raised in China and completed her PhD in public policy analysis at the University of Illinois in Chicago. She is a leader in the Chinese community of greater Chicagoland and is well recognized for her dedication to the public health issues among the medically underserved immigrant communities. In recognition of her work in public health, Dr. Leo has been invited to serve on several public health advisory councils at city, state, and national levels, and to the White House to be honored by President Obama. Hello, Dr. Leo. Hi, Steve. How are you? Uh, good, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. It's remarkable uh, that you have succeeded in engaging people with serious health problems to come to your education sessions, health screenings, and consultations to learn about prevention, and in some cases, treatment of very serious diseases. Tell us about why you started this organization, the Midwest Asian Health Association. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Thank you, Steve, for that good, these good questions, and thank you also for your nice introduction. Um, we started this organization in 2003 in response to the healthcare demand and the needs for from the underserved Asian immigrant populations. Um, as an immigrant myself, I have experienced a lot of uh, difficulties, challenges accessing to the healthcare system uh, in the U.S. Even if I speak. English, but I have a lot of uh, challenges uh, understanding the health system and how to use insurance and how to follow up with the doctor's uh, uh, treatment plans. And uh, the populations we serve and target are most uh, low income, uh, low literacy, health literacy, low education. Uh, immigrant population, they are new here, they are struggling with their priorities for economic survival. So health care, uh, prevention care is at their low priority. Um, without the community center, community programs who can provide language and cultural assistance, they are really at um, the risk for a lot of illnesses and diseases such as the cancer which can be prevented but because they have access issues and they with a low priority they are at more higher risk for utilizing emergency room for their health care and that's what we got we started to develop a community-based organization focusing on health prevention to prevent people from utilizing emergency room as their primary care uh, facility. So um, you mentioned cancer, and I know there are other illnesses of high prevalence in the community that you serve, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, 
uh, heart disease in general, um, hepatitis, and uh, perhaps some others. Um, so it's critical that people get um, um, treated early. And so um, you have gotten some individuals screened. Um, you get them in for education. You've gotten them diagnosed and treated by excellent medical centers with expensive medicines sometimes, even though these are not rich people and often don't have um, good insurance coverage. And you've done this with partnerships with Northwestern Medicine, uh, Rush Medical Center, UIC, Gilead Pharmaceuticals, and others. Tell us about how you use partnerships to develop healthcare. Yes, thank you for mentioning about that. We have been partner partnering with Northwestern University, UIC, Rush University, and the Midwestern University. Uh, those facilities and the schools bring physicians and the students to come to my center to help our patient care and the patient education. For example, hepatitis B is uh, uh, very prevalent among the Asian population with about 10 to 15 percent of hepatitis B carrier rate. Uh, it's a virus leading to liver cirrhosis and liver cancer. Um, we started a free hepatitis B clinic with the UIC hepatologist, Dr. Sean Copy. He has been working voluntarily with our clinic since 2012 and have, have seen our patients, hundreds of our patients who are hepatitis B positive and prescribe medication to uh, slow the progression of the virus. Um, so the Dr. Copy has been here uh, once every month to see our patients. We have another special clinic, uh, GI clinic, in collaboration with the Russian University, Dr. Selena Lee, um, because about 40% of our patients uh, are positive, infected with uh, uh, H. pylori uh, bacteria infection, which is a leading cause to liver diseases and liver cancer. And she is also here once every once a month to see our patients and prescribe medication uh, to uh, stop that bacterial development. And the Midwestern University uh, Pharmacy, Pharma, College of Pharmacy come here once a month to provide um, a lab report review and uh, medical consultation, uh, especially for diabetes, uh, education, prevention. A lot of our patients who are not aware of their um, hypertension, uh, not aware of their blood sugar level and um, cholesterol level, a lot of them working in the restaurants. They don't have their own selection of healthy food. They eat every day in the restaurant, whatever available for them. So they don't have the choice of healthy food and then since they don't go to get health screening and regularly for prevention to understand their health status, uh, we found that about 40 to 50% of patients coming through our center have diabetes without knowing that, uh, especially those who, uh, early, early symptoms are not, early symptoms are not that um, 
upwells. So they they don't know they have diabetes. They don't know they have hypertension until they go through our screening uh, event events and to yes. identify those health problems. Yes, it's very important yeah. to um, in in advocacy for patients to raise awareness of. Um, mm -hmm what the problems are, and it's very not unusual that patients are not aware that they have something. So, of course, mm. then they can't have it treated. You, in your organization, I know you reach out to these um, people uh, from this particular population that you serve in Cantonese and Mandarin, the main langu languages they speak, and you have a staff of people, and when you bring in medical students or um, to um, help with your counseling and screenings, uh, some of those medical students are also um, able to speak Cantonese and Mandarin. And then you use education to get people to understand why they should be screened and to bring in, I know, um, their family members. So uh, how do you engage the people to come to your education? How do you connect with the people to get them to come in for screening? We... Uh, promote our services in the community through several methods. The social media, especially the WeChat, is a very popular social media tool that we advertise and promote our programs. And we have other service, social service programs, such as the Navigator program to help people enroll in uh, insurance and Medicaid and Obamacare. And then the most effective method actually is word by mouth. This is a small community, and then uh, when we provide excellent services, and the people will introduce our services to their family members and the friends, uh, the coworkers, and uh, through the word of mouth strategy, we we got a lot of uh, response and then demands for our services. And besides these services that um provide the education and the screening and the diagnostics and the counseling and even the medicine. Um, you also have other services. Don't, what other services do you have? We have a mental health clinic, which is the only and the first bilingual mental health clinic in the south side of Chicago, uh, serving most of the Chinese population. We have uh, counselors who speak Chinese Mandarin and Cantonese and Taiwanese to communicate with patients. And uh, the mental health um, services are very lacking, in, especially in, among the Asian population. And there are not many bilingual counselors available uh, in Chicago. Um, so that's a very unique and needed services provided by MAHA. And we also have an this employment program. Yes, go ahead. Yes, I, I was going to say this is a uh, another example of um, by making people aware of the issue that mental health is um, is definitely uh, an issue, and um, mm -hmm. giving people access to the counseling uh, where it, it just didn't exist before. Yes. And tell us more about this population. I, Isn't uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, we also started an initiative for suicide prevention program and supported by Chicago Department of Public Health. And then, uh, you know, suicide rate is high uh, among the Asian young women and the seniors. 
uh, we started this program by providing education, social media campaign, and uh, invite people to come, uh, the family members to uh, talk about the issues and uh, to increase the community awareness and uh, speak open in public to uh, to reduce the stigma and the taboo for suicide prevention. Oh, that's that's very important. That's, um, stigma and taboo is a pro is a problem in <clears throat> the general population, but also in uh, a lot of other ethnic communities. Uh, the, the leaders of healthcare in those communities talk about if you can fight the stigma, you can start helping bring people out of their homes and into um, treatment. Um, yes. Tell us more about this population. <clears throat> um, isn't the Asian community relatively well-educated and making a good income? Why do they need this kind of health support? That's a good question. Yes, uh, they, there is a large number of Asian people who are well-educated with good jobs and um, with uh, uh, living in a good condition. But the, we are located in South Chinatown, where it's most new immigrants start from here. And then for those newcomers, they struggle with their economic priority. Uh, like I said, health is not their priority, and they don't language, culture, institutional barriers preventing them from um, accessing to care. And the culturally, that Asian population the health behavior is more crisis-oriented. The prevention is not a concept for them uh, to uh, to seek help uh, because they it doesn't make sense for them to make appointment one or two months in advance for something they don't feel sick. So that's the behavior, especially among Asian new immigrants, that unless it's really they are really sick and in crisis, they don't want to see a doctor in addition to those barriers. And we try to educate them about the importance of early, early uh, diagnosis, early uh, prevention, um, which can help them from um, the disease progression. So we gradually try to change not only their education, but their behavior See, to to help them to understand how important is the prevention. That's what we are doing in the community setting. And since we have a bilingual staff, we speak their language, we understand their culture, they feel very comfortable coming to us. Uh, otherwise, they won't go to the mainstream hospitals, which is so complicated and, and so, di so difficult to navigate the system. So we are here to really serve as their primary and for for education and for for care. That's something a lot of people don't know. Um, that is uh, was very interesting when I learned it. That in our inner cities, where there are underserved populations in a number of ethnic and and uh, minority minority groups, uh, new immigrant groups, um, there are um, uh, services like yours um, in the different ethnic communities. And I recall um, having the privilege of joining a meeting in your, your uh, boardroom one time there in Chinatown, upstairs and in uh, um, over the store, that um, there were directors of centers from low-income African-American neighborhoods joining you and your, your team and uh, low-income Hispanic neighborhoods, the Pilsen neighborhood, for example, and they ran these federally funded healthcare centers 
that are very similar um, to the center you run that encourage people in their cultural, um, in their language or in their culture or in ways that are um, trusted in the community to come in for screenings, to come in for education and then start to educate their families. And the meeting was quite interesting because although all these cultures are different, um, there is a common ground um, in how do we provide healthcare and then the provision of city, state, and federal grants that come from um, the different forms of government in the United States to try to make um, the United States a healthier place. I did wonder for a long time as I grew up, how are these neighborhoods served? And it's, um, it's people and organizations like yours that um, make that difference. So um, I wanted to ask you, how has the Chinese community um, been impacted um, in the Chicago and around Chinatown there, where, which is the central focal point of your work. It's, of course, you're all over the Chicagoland area, but what's happened in Chinatown because of COVID? Oh, the, the, in Chinatown, I think the Chinese uh, businesses have suffered from the outbreak, both in China and in the U.S. Even if the outbreak started in the U.S. in mid of in earlier mid of March, when the social distancing order started to take effect, but because of China started the outbreak in uh, late December last year and the early um, January, uh, the Chinese community here got scaled and then canceled canceled a lot of events. And the family gatherings. Uh, remember, um, the Chinese um, American community has a big Chinese New Year party every year, where you emceed a few times. That big of yes. event was was cancelled, and um, so the Chinese um, businesses in Chinatown, those restaurants, the health salon, beauty salon, the hotels, uh, tourist companies, they started to lose business back in January. And then it started in mid-March when the social distance orders took effect. And um, the restaurants are not, are not allowed to have sit-in services. So, and then until now, they still are not recovering from those uh, loss. Uh, so that's a, a big hit really in the Chinese community first started uh, from China and now in the U.S. And I know this is a, um, a um, sensitive topic that a lot of people would rather not talk about, but I wanted to ask you, because I think sometimes awareness is, is important for people to understand um, that awareness can make a difference. Has the Chinese community experienced a backlash or discrimination that is something different because of the time of this COVID time we're in? Yes. And um, we heard a lot uh, of that experience um, experienced from, uh, by the Chinese community that because the virus has been labeled as China virus or Kung flu by Trump. And then um, so we got a lot of some uh, the backlash and the discrimination, verbal attacks by in some instances. My, for example, my friend was walking on the street, and then there were a few young guys yelled at her, say, "Hey, Chinese, go back, and you have virus." And there was a white man walking behind her, 
with, with a dog. So the, the group of young people yelled at him as well, say, hey, stay away from that Chinese woman. She has virus, things like that. So we do experience um, the backlash. And then really, we are scared of walking to, on the street. I used to walk from my home to my office in Chinatown. But nowadays, then I'm, I'm no longer there to walk on the street for fear of a uh, verbal attack or something happen. Yes, and, and I know those streets uh, that you're talking about, normally they feel safe, although they are they are in the city and they're in a part of the city that can change quickly. And in that instance with the lady walking down the street, your friend, I know um, <clears throat> that uh, that car full of three young men did a U-turn and drove back to her after they had shouted at her. Uh, which is very yeah. threatening and menacing to a woman walking alone in the street. So this is not a small thing. This is a pretty important thing. I wanted to ask you, though, um, about your uh, initiative, um, because there's a, it, the Chinese community is very different than, uh, in a positive way that, than a lot of people would know who don't are not familiar with the community. Tell us about your initiative to organize the Chinese community during the time of COVID to help the general population. Yes. Yes, when the COVID-19 outbreak started in the U.S. in early March, uh, my organization, MAHA, working together with 16 other Chinese organizations and the companies to start a fund drive to raise money and to purchase the PPEs for the mainstream facilities. We want to do that. First, of course, there was a huge shortage of PPEs and every facility was crying for support and donation. And the You're second- You're talking about personal protective equipment, right? PPEs. Yeah, yeah PPEs, the masks and, and the, and the uh, uniform PPEs. The, we want to do this is that we want to show to the mainstream society that we, even if we are Chinese, but we care about this country, we want to support the people who provide forefront, uh, provide services and especially in public facilities to help and protect our communities. We want to share our love. We want to have a harmonious relationship with the people here that uh, to fight together against the virus, which is what we are in the war. So we uh, can only win the war by standing together and support each other. And we want to let people know that we are not selfish people or community. We we help them, we support each other, we care about them, especially those people who are providing services during COVID-19 at their own health risk. And we want them to be safe and healthy so they can continue and provide better services for to protect our communities and our patients. So that's what we have been doing, and we have within uh, three months we raised over eighty thousand dollars, and then we put we purchased PPEs and uh, donate those to fifty facilities. Uh, we donate one hundred forty thousand masks to the facilities that much needed for, for to protect their their uh, frontline workers. And our project was featured by ABC 7 News, Chicago Tribune, World Journal, and social, other social media and the local news. And our 
project was also honored at two Asian Heritage Month events in May to celebrate Asian contribution. We are so proud that we can do this and uh, to to uh, help people and make a contribution um, to improve the relationship between the Chinese community and the other uh, mainstream communities. Yes, this is the kind of um, efforts and people that a country needs um, to uh, the way that you've worked together in that initiative. And um, the thing that really is most impressive to me is when I saw um, a list of the thank you letters that you got from hospitals all over the Chicagoland area, including very major medical centers and the mainstream um, medical groups, uh, including the group I go to with my, you know, my insurance and I go in there for checkups and so forth. And I thought, wow, even, you know, this group has uh, received your um, gift of free PPEs when it was uh, needed. And the expressiveness of those letters from the directors of those hospitals and medical centers uh, is unmistakable that they they were really in need <clears throat> in need, and your group stepped forward um, to provide. So that's just a wonderful thing. Um, I want to also say um, that it's been impressive um, when I've attended some of your fundraisers and also some of your town square events that you hold out in public in order to um, promote uh, awareness or uh, a new initiative to fight disease and the fundraiser in general to bring people in to uh, help fund all this. Um, the who's who of Chinatown comes and the, the greater Chicago Chinese community comes across the suburbs and all kinds of um, parts of the Chicagoland area and walks of life, but there's a lot of affluent people who give a lot of money to fight um, disease in the underserved community. You also get attending your organizations, your, in your town hall um, events, the Illinois Director of Public Health, you get the Chicago Director of Public Health, um, you get Congressman Danny Davis, a member of the United States House of Representatives because that's his district there, and um, you get Jesse White, our famous Secretary of State, who's well known in, across Illinois for his efforts to um, connect youth in the inner city throughout his whole life. So you really have a lot of um, goodwill and attention that you've earned by the years of service you've provided working day after day um, when the fundraisers are over and the balloons are taken down and the celebration is over. You have a hard, hard working staff. So um, I just want to um, tell you that it's much appreciated and I know a lot of people when they see that um, <clears throat> definitely think that's the kind of thing we need more of in the country. So Dr. Leo Hong, Thank you very much for speaking with us today. I'm sorry that we're out of time. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to present our programs. Thank you. Sure. We have been speaking today with Dr. Leo Hong, Executive Director of the Midwest Asian Health Association. This is Steve Smith at WCG Patient Radio. Special thanks to our executive producer, Lauren Osmore, our technical director, David Fogel, and production team Isabel Andresen and Roxana Dilford-Blake, and our head of studio, Amy Hutnick. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>